On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about snow because there was a lot of it on the sidewalks around the city after the storm this weekend. But you know where the snow wasn't? In the bike lanes. Does that make any sense to anybody that we're cleaning our bike lanes first before our sidewalks? Also, we're going to be chatting about awards for civil servants, for bureaucrats. The government wants more bureaucrats to be getting things like the Order of Canada. Really? And then Don Robertson is in to talk sports. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I'm downtown Sunday morning. And I can't help but notice that many of the sidewalks around the downtown have not been cleared at all. Some it were, but many it looked like there had been no effort at all, not even partway through the storm where someone had come along and done some dusting or whatever. Like they were just, it was whatever snow had fallen was still sitting on the sidewalks. Now, this is an issue. This came up at city council today. If you want to know what it was about, a new ward three counselor, Narendra Nan was talking about this. She says many people in her ward, quite a few people were concerned about this, about the state of the sidewalks, the unshoveled state of the city sidewalks, particularly those who are disabled, who use mobility devices, who may need a walker, may need a cane, may need a, a ride on scooter, may need a wheelchair, whatever the case may be, the unshoveled sidewalks made it almost impossible for those people to get around. Now, to this effect, the Disability Justice Network of Ontario got involved. It was saying, look, send us pictures of the unshoveled driveway so we can prove this. Give us some ammunition here so we can show what we, the people who have these challenges in life, what we have to deal with. Send us the pictures. Uh, Ward 1 Councillor Maureen Wilson says she wanted, this is in council again today, wanted to have a discussion, a robust discussion about sidewalk cleaning again Uh, for mobility purposes. How do we get around? How do people, especially people who are challenged physically, how do we get around if we can't have sidewalk cleaning? Let me tell you one other thing before we move along here. Why, what got me cranky about this? You, if you are a homeowner in this city, you should know if you don't already, you are by law, as a bylaw, you are in this city by law, required to clean your sidewalk within a certain number of hours of the snow stopping. That is your municipal civic obligation. You don't have a choice. You are required to do that or you can be fined. The city of Hamilton, not so much. They don't have necessarily, they don't have full sidewalk cleaning. Certainly not everywhere. So anyway, why was I so cranky? Because I'm downtown. I see the sidewalks covered in snow, no ability for people to walk around. We have a lot of pedestrians in this city, especially downtown. But what was cleaned? What was cleaned to within an inch of its life? The bike lanes were cleaned down to the concrete. The bike lanes were cleaned more convincingly and more thoroughly than the traffic lanes that still had a layer of snow on them. Clearly, they were done more than the sidewalks. We had more effort and more perfectionism put into clearing our bike lanes in this city on a day where we had just come through a blizzard and it was about minus 30 degrees with the wind chill. And we have gone out of our stinking way to make sure that our bike lanes are the number one priority in this town. I'm sorry to you cyclists. And I know that some of you are out there, but I didn't see any, by the way, we saw one cyclist riding around, but not near a bike lane. 
Not one on the bike lanes that we could see. I'm sorry to the cyclists. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. That our priority on the coldest day of the winter coming out of a massive storm would be for the bike lanes to be cleared first. That is sheer civic stupidity of the highest possible order. And this comes back to last year, late last year. This was a discussion at city council about the priority of getting the bike lanes cleared. We got to get the bike lanes cleared first. That's number one priority. Let me tell you something. I bet there were hundreds, maybe thousands of cyclists who couldn't even get to the bike lanes downtown because their residential streets and sidewalks weren't cleared. How do you get your bike out of your house and onto the roads if you can't even get there? And yet we've got bike lanes that you could see the concrete. It was, the asphalt was clear. This was, as, as I say, this was as dumb a misuse and misalignment of civic city resources as I've seen in a long, long time. I simply don't understand when the decision was made, who thought, yeah, you know, and, and I'm not blaming the public works people. They're following the whims and the will and the thing of the voting of the, of the city council. Who decided that number one should be bike lanes in the worst time of the year? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting about snow. We're chatting about sidewalks. Because on the weekend, and it came up at City Council today, lots of complaints apparently about the lack of shoveling of city sidewalks, snow building up on sidewalks, people with disabilities, pedestrians unable to get around. And yet... Yesterday morning, Sunday morning, just hours after the snowfall ended, bike lanes, you could have eaten off them. They were so clean. I mean, they may have to repave them this summer because they scraped so hard to get the snow off there. There was not a flake of snow in certain places on those bike lanes. And I just don't see the point. I don't see how this makes sense. I don't see how when we are sitting here... In council, city councillors debating about whether we can find some money to clear sidewalks, how the answer is not abundantly clear to the point of being glaringly obvious when we have a blizzard and it's 40 degrees below zero, put the side, put the bike cleaning apparatus on the sidewalks and let's get that done because that seems to me more of a priority. I guarantee you, I would pay every, I will bet you every dime that I have ever made and will ever make that there were more pedestrians out after the snowfall than there were cyclists. So if you're simply talking about numbers, more people needed the sidewalks cleared than the bike lanes cleared. And by the way, there, I'm sure there were some people riding around in the bike lanes. I'm not saying none were, but the numbers are infinitesimally small after a storm like that on a day like that. Why are we putting so much effort? That is a lower priority. Do the roads, do the sidewalks, and when you're done, do the bike lanes. We are doing it backwards. We are doing it backwards and it makes no sense. Rick is on the line. Let me get to Rick here. If I can get him to... There we go. Rick, how are you tonight? Good. Yourself? I'm doing great, thank you. Are you a bike believer? Do you think I'm totally wrong or are you on board with this? No, I agree with you uh, 100%. Um, my question uh, for you to maybe answer or uh, look into a little bit isn't exactly on the bike lanes, but maybe you can confirm or figure out, are there some residential areas in Hamilton, need to be Ancaster or Old Ancaster there, that still have their sidewalks cleared by the city? Yes, there are. are there areas yeah. of Hamilton? So yes. 
And that goes from the old amalgamation. Sorry, Rick, that goes back to the old amalgamation that was part of the deal that was still there. I can't explain to you why that is. I I mean, there's a deal, obviously, that was made during amalgamation, and that has stayed. I don't know why it's only Ancash. I don't have an answer for that for you. No problem. Well, maybe it's something they need to explore and save some money by making it equal across Hamilton. Well, Rick, anyway, thanks for your time. Before I let you go though, would you yeah, have no a problem, problem. It, since if Ancaster can do this, why can't we move this and do it to the rest of the city and take the apparatus, take the vehicles, take the equipment that would have done the bike lanes? I bet we could have got most of the sidewalks on most at least of the main streets done before we had to get to the bike lanes. No, and I agree with that. I think um, I mean there's there's two different areas we're looking into here and maybe that's something to look at is I don't have a problem with clearing the sidewalk in front of my house. In fact, half the neighborhood, we get we get it done and it, it looks great. Um, but in the business district, that's got to be a priority, um, clear the sidewalk. So I think homeowners can clear the sidewalks in front of their house. Um, but the business area, I think, let's clear those first. Um, people can't walk around, use their scooters or, or their canes or whatever. I mean, whatever. We got a problem. It's not going to do good for our businesses no matter what. So sidewalk's got to be primary uh, focus here, especially in the business area. Rick, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Take care. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Look, you are entitled to disagree with me. If you are a big believer, if you are someone who thinks that it was a great move to get the bike lanes done first, feel free to give me a call. I'm open to listening to you. I disagree vehemently. I think it's completely ridiculous, especially today in light of this coming up at city council where we are city councilors are talking about how do we pay to get the sidewalks done how do we find the money in our budget to get the sidewalks done because we don't want to have to raise taxes and they they've cited a number i think of about 34 dollars per person would be the total if we want to increase it to get all the sidewalks cleared well i'll tell you how to get a lot of the sidewalks done maybe not all the sidewalks do the sidewalks before the bike lanes. And then if you have time, when the snow stops, get to the bike lanes. Priorities. This is all about priorities. And we don't seem capable, obviously, of making choices on priorities. Many people emailing in right now saying, this is the problem of a cycle lobby that has way too much power and is controlling people at city council. I don't know if they have too much power. I know they're being listened to. But this, to me, is not even about the cycle lobby. This should be about the common sense lobby. The common sense lobby. We have more pedestrians by a thousand million times than we have cyclists, especially in weather like that. Let me go to Sean. Sean, how are you today? Not so bad yourself. Great, thank you. What do you think about this? There is nothing to think about because all it actually boils down between you and me is we elected someone who does not basically carry the common sense. Sean, there will be people who will agree with you. <laughs> Thank you for the call. I appreciate that. I got a few seconds. Let me just go very quickly to Fred. Fred, how are you? Hi, not bad, Scott. I'm, 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 I'm really getting fed up with these bleeding heart people. Like, there's priorities, and the sidewalks should be all cleaned. Like the other guy said, other areas of Hamilton, Wentworth, they get cleaned. We should have the same stuff here. These people ride these bicycles. Like, this is why we got rid of McCaddy. He was a counselor. They got rid of him. Fred, I got to go to a, I, I got to go to break. Thank you for the call. I do appreciate okay. you calling. Listen, I don't even blame the cyclists on this one. 
I know that there are people who are avid cyclists, who are loud voices, who try to get the ear of counsel. That's fine. You are entitled to be a lobbyer. You are entitled to try and get the ear of counsel. That's your job. That's your right in a society that we have, in a democratic society. It doesn't mean, though, that counsel has to listen and put plans in place that don't make any sense. This is why counsel makes the decisions, not the lobbyists, because you want to have sober second thought that says it's idiotic to do the bike lanes before we do anything else. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Our federal liberal government, love them or hate them, your choice. I'm not here to tell you which one. It's entirely your choice. But our federal liberal government, apparently, as domestic issues are gurgling with pipelines and everything else, and as our foreign policies are being tested with China and with Saudi Arabia and all the rest, don't have enough on their plate, apparently, because they have decided that on their priority list, they want more bureaucrats, more public servants, they like to call them, although considering public servants generally now make way more money than people in the private sector, I refuse to call them servants to anybody. They are the public masters. We are the private servants. Anyway, the liberal government believes that our public servants, our bureaucrats, aren't really getting the respect and love and admiration they deserve. These hard-working, fingers-to-the-bone administrators who handle such important things as, well, whatever it is they do, haven't been getting enough awards. They're not being recognized in the award world nearly enough. So the clerk of the Privy Council who is Canada's top public servant, has encouraged, actually the word is being used in the story is pressed, not encouraged, been basically telling them, get your act together, has pressed all federal governments to submit the names of at least five of their employees every year to the groups that would give out awards, like the Order of Canada and stuff. We need more bureaucrats being honored with the Order of Canada, the top award in this country for meritorious service and great things that we that someone has done for the betterment of this country, creating vaccines for diseases, bringing, doing amazing things in the arts or in music that brings honor and glory to Canada, losing their, sacrificing their life, giving their life for charitable or other kind of things. We also want bureaucrats. Those people who go and live in the jungles of Africa and work as doctors for the impoverished people who don't have any other access to medicine. Yeah, we got enough of them. We got enough of them. We need the desk jockeys to get the order of Canada. We need more bureaucrats to be standing in Rideau Hall in front of the Governor General getting pinned with the Order of Canada. We want more people that we're already paying enormous money to that are all on the sunshine list to get more awards because clearly the enormous public salaries that they're receiving aren't nearly thanks enough for the hard work they do except for on holidays and statutory holidays and sick days and when governments are closed and after 5 p.m. or 4.30 at times when you try to call and can't get anybody in the office. We need more bureaucrats getting big awards. Are we out of our minds? 
Honestly, who we have so many people working for government right now. Every single one of them should be very thankful. They have jobs, especially when there's talk of cutbacks and everything else. Do we really need to give these desk workers, these administrators, do we need to find new ways to honor them and make them feel better about themselves? Uh, Like the order of Canada to me is supposed to be the highest honor that we give to people for something they've done that has made Canada better, that has made us a better country in the world, that has done something beyond the realm of normal behavior, way above and beyond the boundaries of what your normal job is. You know who got the order of Canada? Terry Fox. So does it make sense then that right next to Terry Fox, when you look down the list of Order of Canada, you should have Bobby Schmarcola, Revenue Canada Administrator? Yeah, that, that, that would be great, right? Like, let's put them on the same level. The same level. You have people who have done amazing things and someone who works as a bureaucrat. What is going on with the people who do this? Are we really running a government that really needs this much praise and this much acclaim? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The federal government is now asking for bureaucrats to be nominated because they're terribly underrepresented when it comes to awards like the Order of Canada and such. Our hardworking federal bureaucrats simply don't get the love and admiration they deserve with these highfalutin, high-end honors that, in my mind, should be reserved for people who are... I'm not excluding bureaucrats. I'm not excluding people in government. But you had better have done something pretty darn impressive, pretty darn wonderful, pretty darn above and beyond the call of duty. Not just being a happy boss or getting through more than the median amount of paperwork. And in case you're wondering and you're thinking, well, wait a second, Radley, you're saying public servants, but that could include doctors, that could include teachers, that could include military people. No, no, I'm not talking about them. All right. They, they already get honored. Those kind of people get, who do amazing things, they already get honored. Let me read from this story. Between 1976 and 2018, people whose contributions were considered, quote, public service made up an, on average, 2.4% of annual appointments to the Order of Canada. Now, let me stop for a second. The fact that they even got 2.4% is pretty stunning. Anyway, let me continue. Over this period, public servants comprised an average of 5.9% of Canada's employed labor force each year. And of course, they are simply referring in this case to federal, I think, public servants, because it's way more than 5.9% of the population is in public service. And for clarity, they then went on to point out, oh, who are we talking about when we say public servants? Those working in all kinds of government, governance and government, including indigenous governments, municipal, provincial, and federal governments. So they are not talking about the people who are your heart surgeon at the, doc, at the hospital who are getting public money. That's not what we're talking about here, who devise some wonderful new system to fix your heart. They're getting honored anyway. What they are looking for here is they want more people who are actually in government, bureaucrats, the kind that it's very tough to reach on the phone, that talk in their own language that nobody understands, 
you know who I'm talking about, right? We want them. We want more of them to have awards and orders of Canada stuff. Really? Really? This is, this is really what the Order of Canada and other significant awards like this are for? This is really who we want to give the Order of Canada to? No insult to the person standing at the desk at the license bureau to get your driver's license that has taken four hours to get you up to the counter, but really? That's, we're going to say, oh yeah, Order of Canada, sure. Wayne Gretzky and you, Order of Canada, boom, done. Really? When did it become a thing where you could not do your job, get your paycheck, maybe get a compliment from your boss if you did really well, and think, you know what, that was a pretty good day. That was a pretty good week. I don't need to go to Rideau Hall and have the Governor General pin an award on me because I've been paid by the taxpayers. I am still employed. I have a good pension waiting for me. I can basically never be fired unless I do something so egregious that it's beyond belief. When when did that become a problem? Let me go to Fred. Fred is on the line. Fred, how are you? Not bad, Scott. The Order of Canada, the only one person I know of was Jimmy Lomax. He passed away now, but he acted as Santa Claus within the neighborhood. Now, we have other people like on the Red Hill that helped get that done. A lot of people were against it, and uh, the link and all this other people. A lot of bleeding hearts were trying to stop that stuff. But it helped the city get a lot of the traffic off the main city roads and that because we only have so many ways of getting up and down the escarpment and everything else. And to me, I find that a lot of these other people, like you say, the Order of Canada, that are getting it. To me, they haven't really done anything in the community. Uh, a lot of them didn't do it. You don't understand what I'm saying, Scott? I do, Fred. Thank you for the call. I do. I, look, I, there are people, I know there are people who work in government offices who do good work. All right? Not every, I, I, I'm, I'm teasing about this, but not everybody is like this. There are people who do good work. We know that's the case. We've all had experience with people in governments who have done good work as well as bad work. But that is what you are being paid to do. Should we have such a low expectation of government workers that we have to now give you an award for doing your job? Is that really where we are now? We think so little of our government that if you don't suck, we'll give you an award. If look, if our if our public service, and again I use that word with my tongue in my cheeks, I don't really believe that any of them are servants, not anymore. But if our public service is so weak, at least that's the perception, that the only way we can recognize them is by giving them orders of Canada, we gotta rethink what we're doing. Seriously. Seriously. At your workplace, and think about where you work, do you is it a necessity? to make people feel better about themselves that they have to be getting national awards? Or is the fact that you're getting a paycheck every day not sufficient? And here's the thing. If there is somebody who is truly this good at their job, I don't think we need to have the government say, hey, you know what? We need to put five people from every department in for a nomination every year. If there is someone who's that good, they'll be nominated because they will stand out as being that good. Come on. Surely the liberal, our federal government, liberal, I don't care what, what brand they are, has better things to do than to worry about this crap. 
I'll, you know something, though? I bet you before we're done, half the people in this government are going to try and get themselves award of Canada's awards of Canada. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson, the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys. He runs ComChoice Realty. He does many, many other things in the great hamlet of Dundas, Ontario. Is it a hamlet now or is it a town? What is the official? Town of Dundas. Is it town? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You were saying just before we came on that you, like most other people, the numbers, apparently 54 million people in the States watched the AFC Championship game, the Patriots and the Chiefs last night. A lot of people watching football yesterday. You were among yeah. them, you said. Uh, tomorrow night, Bubba O'Neill is going to be on here. We're going to, Bubba and I disagree on pretty much everything to do with the controversies around these games. So we'll hash some of that stuff out. What I was amazed at is that the NFL had two spectacular football games yesterday. Both went to overtime, and at the end of the day, people were upset with both. Not because of the results necessarily, but Don, because of one, because of the missed call, and one, because their overtime system is just really stupid. Better than it was. It was. If you kicked a field goal, you won. That's true. They've made it a little bit better. I, I'm going to go into this, I say, a lot more tomorrow night. But just tell me this. The NFL playoff system, as most people know, is... It, you you if you kick a field goal on your first possession, if you start with the ball, you win the coin toss, you get the ball. If you kick a field goal, the other team gets to have a turn. But if you score a touchdown first, which the Patriots did, the other team doesn't get to have a turn, and the game is just over. What's the rush? What what, what if the year the NFL? What is the downside to giving the other team a turn with the ball and saying, "All right, so it's going to take us an extra few minutes." I, I just, I fail to understand how they can have an overtime system that is this stupid. So let's go back. One of the things you said is a coin toss determines possession. Yes. New England may have won that football game more because they won a coin toss. 100%. Than anything else. Um, and for those that get upset about an Olympic medal being tied or determined through a shootout, or a soccer match being determined through a shootout, at least everybody gets a shot. So you're right, from that aspect, holy crap. I mean, it really can be. Now, you had, you'd have to be, when you're Kansas City, and they win, and New England wins the flip, and Tom Brady's got the ball. Now, everybody goes on about Tom Brady's brilliance, and he, he scored a lot of points in the fourth quarter, uh, he didn't make the call that scored the touchdown, and he didn't block anybody. No, Tom Brady so, is New great. New England's a pretty good football New England's team. a great team. But he, the answer that I was given repeatedly, and again, if you're tuning in tomorrow, we'll be going into this in much more vigorous debate probably, was if you're Kansas City, just stop New England, and then you can win the game. If yep. you've got a defense, just stop them. The problem with that, Don, is that argument to me is akin to in a shootout in the NHL or in hockey. Stop the puck. The first shooter in the shootout, if he scores, the game is over and the other team never gets to have a turn. And they say, yeah, that's not, not a fair. Well, then your goalie should have stopped it. It. This is the only sport that I can think of where it is built into... Now, somebody said, yeah, but it could happen in hockey. You could drop the puck. You could The other team could pick up the puck and go down and score. Yeah, but it's not designed to only give one team 
a chance to score. It's not designed no, it's, it's, that way. It's, it's an imbalance, and I, I, you're right. What is the hurry? In, so, the, in the regular season, you have a 10-minute overtime. So New England score. Yep. Give the ball to Kansas City, and if they don't score a touchdown, it's over. Yeah. So in the regular season, if you're worried about time, you've got a 10-minute overtime. And if New England goes down and scores a touchdown, Kansas City, with whatever time is left on the clock, can come down and try and score a touchdown to tie it. In the re- in and that's fine. You're out in whatever time that is. In the in the uh, postseason in the playoffs, if New England had gone down and scored that touchdown yesterday, Kansas City gets a turn and goes down and scores a touchdown. Is there anybody? Who's watching that game saying, oh, would you hurry up and decide this? I got to get over and watch Flip or Flop on HGTV. Nobody would be complaining that this game is dragging on. You've, clear, be- you've clearly never seen Flip or Flop. No. This, if they had gone down, if, if New England scored and then Kansas City comes back and scores, and then New England goes down and scores, and Kansas City comes back and scores, you know what you have? You have the 2011 Vanier Cup game, which some people still call the best game ever, because that's what Mac and, Va- and uh, Laval were doing. And people loved that. Nobody was saying for that game, oh, I wish they would just hurry up and get this thing well, done. If you subscribe to my theory that almost all professional sports is all about the money. It's hard to believe that they don't want to stretch a playoff game out as long as they can and get as many commercial breaks in as they can. Somebody's going to buy those ads. And do you think that people would have gone away from their TV sets in the overtime or people would have called their buddies and said, have you got the game on? The numbers would have gone up in the overtime. Any idea what you're missing here? Exactly. You're not. It's not like you're suddenly playing in front of a million viewers. That it, 54 might have been 70 by the time it went on for another 15 It's minutes. not a great way to uh, determine an outcome. But as I mentioned, sadly, it's better than the one they were using. It's true. Which was even, even dumber. Let me jump to the other game for a second. And again, I'll talk more about this tomorrow night. But we all know what happened. We had the pass interference call that was... I can't imagine there has been another pass interference call in the NFL this entire year in every game played that was as egregious that was not called. And there were two referees standing right there. If you look at the replay, there are two referees each within seven yards of the hit, and neither one took out their flag. So here's the question. I'm not going to talk about that because that's been talked to death. There is a rule in the NFL rule book. It's Rule 17, Section 2, Article 3. Uh, The commissioner's powers under this section include the reversal of a game's result or the rescheduling of a game, either from the beginning or from the point at which the extraordinary act occurred, which means basically if something happens that is so extraordinary within the playing of a game that it would affect the outcome of a game, so unbelievably extraordinary that it would make the outcome completely unfair and unreliable, the commissioner has the power to either force the game to be replayed, overturn the result completely, or force the teams to go back on the field at the moment of the extraordinary act and pick up the game from there. Could you ever, under any circumstances, and I won't even limit this to the NFL, In let's say every league had this rule, could you ever, under any circumstance, see a commissioner ever invoking this? I, can, I could never see a... Certainly. But could not, you? not for that reason. I could see him using the rule. How, but not, not for this. 
I mean, I'm catching you cold, but what would be- Snowstorm, um, Act of God, the lights went out. Um, but that game would have been called at that point and you would have had to go back. This is something that after the result has been determined, that he yeah. can then go back in time and say the result is unacceptable. You're right. You caught me cold, but- uh, So I'm, yes, a snowstorm or something- I'm pretty sharp on my feet. That's the good part, is I can't see him ever doing that on an official's call. It would be- because well, okay. he undermine he would undermine those two officials and the entire officiating staff, uh, and said I didn't see it, so nor did I see a replay. But I'll take you at face value that everybody in the world but the two guys that were able to call it could have called it. Yes. So even the player who did the hit admitted that it was a a foul. But even if those two guys get their uh, flag stuck in their pocket, there's other guys out. The head referee, if it was that egregious. Could he not have called it? But again, most like, of the time. How can everybody be right but the officials on the field? And that's why I don't think he would ever use his powers to overturn a judgment call. It's an interesting part you're saying about usurping the or, or undercutting the authority of the officials. T- to answer your question about the other officials on the field, if you've got two guys who are both seven yards away, it's unlikely that someone who's 40 yards away is suddenly going to throw his flag. He's relying on those two guys must have seen something I didn't. You're probably not going to. There could have been two or three guys looking at each other going, they're not throwing flags. Like they're not, you know, and you can't do it a minute later. You can't finally say, I'm throwing a flag. All right. If Bob won't do it, I will. Yeah. Yeah, You can't do that. I'm going to wander down from the goal line and throw the flag in the air. Because now it looks like you've let the crowd affect your judgment. It's even worse. Yeah. You can't. You cannot do that. I suppose that, uh, and I was trying to think today of a circumstance under which a commissioner of any sport could invoke something like this. The only one I could think of, Don, the only situation, and I don't think, I don't even think this would happen, is if you could establish that one of the officials had been bought. If this was a corrupt call. Yeah, well, now you this, got two. So now yeah, they both have But I'm, I'm, I'm saying in, in any league, if you were to somehow yeah. determine that somehow one of those officials had been paid off, and I'm not, for a second, I, I am not a believer in the NFL fixing games to get the teams they want in there. I'm not, I'm not saying these guys, but I'm saying if you could have decided, if you came to some immediate conclusion with facts that one of these officials had thrown the game or done something, maybe then I could see the commissioner. The problem is you would have to have a lengthy investigation. Yeah. They're not turning that game around because of a tax. No. And you would have to have a lengthy investigation that could take weeks and weeks and weeks and the Super Bowl is already over. What are you going to do? Make them go back, play this, and then play the Super Bowl over with a different team? I mean, it becomes an impossible... So I don't even know why this is in... the. I, okay. I, so rules are in, in rule books and constitutions of leagues for a reason. Okay. So... Somebody wasn't sitting around having a cigar or smoke or drinking scotch one night and said, this will be a fun one to throw in there. The commissioner can do whatever he wants. They didn't put that in with the uh, Major League Hockey they, yes, rule book? <laughs> that's, how, that's how that rule book was determined. Um, but you, you know, I mean, so what, something must have happened that we need to give the commissioner the ultimate power to fix it. I don't know what caused that rule, but every time you see a rule in a book or a, or a phrase in a constitution, it's because something generally has happened or it's to prevent something from happening. So the reality is you need to know the NFL's interpretation and or why that rule is in there. Because at some point in time, over time, 
something had happened that the commissioner didn't have the ability to overturn uh, an act or something, we better give them the power. Now, the interesting thing is, has that power ever been invoked since it went in to the rule book? Not that I'm aware of. And and think of what would happen, I mean, even though it's here, and even though it is will, it is within the, his power to do it. Think of what would happen if Monday morning the commissioner said, "You know what, uh, guys? I know you've already flown back to Los Angeles. Get back to the Superdome." I've been thinking about this. This is wrong. Got to play it over again. Or worse, said, "You know." The the reality is, if this play had been called properly, this game is basically over. So I'm giving the win to New Orleans. They're going to the Super Bowl. Los Angeles, you're out. It would it would be it would be chaos. You'd have lawsuits flying around. You would have the entire city of Los Angeles would be. And either way, it would it, it's one of those rules, Don. That while it's there, Los Angeles. It say, seems like so. Well, we waited 20 years <laughs> to get a team back, and you take it away from us. <laughs> It seems like a rule that's in the book that is essentially not usable. I've I've given it some thought today. I can't think again, even even with the ref on the take situation, I can't think of a situation which the commissioner could ever invoke this rule. Did you? How much since you have a head start on this, and you've uh, as you say you brought it up to me cold? I thought you had that rule memorized. I was going to congratulate. No, 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 no. Did you do any research to see if it ever been invoked? As I say, I can't find any evidence that it's ever been invoked. Again, there's a reason it's there. That would be the interesting concept to find out who slipped that in and why. I can see you putting it in, but there had to be somebody sitting around saying if. We need a mechanism, if this ever happens, that the commissioner can fix it. Well, I'll tell you an example of a situation, not exactly like this, from the CFL from a number of years ago. Some people may remember this game. It was Labor Day. I don't know what year. It was at old Iverwind Stadium still. And some fan who I have every reason to believe may have had some liquid bravery jammed into them. Some Again, some will remember this. Climbed the goalpost at the east end zone by the Argos dressing room, somehow shimmied his way up to the top of the goalpost, grabbed onto the flag, the wind direction flag, and was hanging only by one hand holding onto the flag. With no gear on? No, it was a fan. Oh, he had just gone up there. It, was it wasn't a, streaking, though. No, 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 no. That would have made it more fun. <laughs> and then greased the pole. But, but because when he ran onto the field, because the police as well as security had been chasing him, we found out after the game that if he had fallen from there, which was very possible, like it, it's it, it was amazing that he didn't fall. Quite honestly, when amazing he could get up there. Well, when he's just holding on to the flag, like the this and the flag. For those who don't know, the flag is bolt. It's a it's a plasticky canvas thing with one of those metal rings in it, yeah. and it's held by a few pieces of of um, a chain, chain link to the top of the goalpost. So it's not Not something string. you want to swing on. It's not string, but it's not also, you know, it, he could very easily have fallen because he was being chased by the police at the time. We were told that had he fallen, that would have been a case that the SIU would have had to have been investigating. Tape off the, the field area. would have been shut down. The area would have been taped off. Everybody would have been sent home. And there was... I don't know how much time left in the game. And the question was, well, what would have happened? And nobody was really sure, but probably both teams would have had to have come back on Monday. And replay it from the time of that. Or I guess on Tuesday, because it was a Labor Day on Tuesday, and replay it from that point. Now, that's not exactly the same. That's the closest, though, I can come to thinking of a moment 
where you would have to, not because of a storm, not because of an act of God, where you would have had to stop a game and pick up from that moment at a different point. All right. So let me let me give you a scenario then where if this if this rule is in the uh, CFL rule book, and I don't know if it is, and Hamilton were winning fifty two to five, and there was a minute to go. I'm sure the commissioner could determine that that would be the end of the game within his powers, and that would be the final score, and the remainder of the game would not have to be played. I would assume that would be correct. Right? I would assume. But that's that's the same. But the commissioner should have those powers to do that. And that that, I don't even know if that would be the commissioner or if that would be the official on the field. I doubt the official on the field would have that power. I don't know. To determine that a game would be, well, you know what? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, th- but that would be a reason that the commissioner would be able to have that kind of, even if there was two minutes to go. I'm sure there are things that people have thought about that would fall into this category. If you have, remember a few years ago, there was an accusation against, can't remember which team, I think it was in the CFL and it may have been the Alouettes back at the time when they kept getting accused of spying and all kinds of other things. I, I, I stand to be corrected on this. It may not be them, but where there was one stadium where the visiting teams miraculously, their headsets kept not working in the helmets. So the so the so apparently the home team was able to communicate with their quarterback, but the other team, it may have entirely been a weird problem, a weird thing that, that happened. I doubt it. But if it, if it turned out we won't even use the team name, just in any league, if this was the case. If you're in this game yesterday and you discover that a home team was playing around with the technology that was causing one team to have a significant disadvantage, could you see them going back and making them replay it? I still don't even I don't think, think you would you, do that. I don't get replay. I think it'd be heavy fines, maybe take the win away. I don't even think you would overturn it. I, I just, the, 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 the outcry in the city. Again, think of what would happen if in LA they woke up this morning and it said, You're in. You're the, out. the Rams lost. The Rams have been determined to have lost that game. Commissioner has taken away the win. We're not going to the Super Bowl. Because overnight, people would have already bought their tickets, bought their plane tickets, bought their hotel tickets. Like the, the, this sounds like one of those rules that may have been terrific in 1952. But in, in 2019, with the immediacy that you can do stuff, the lawsuits, Don, that would be involved if a commissioner ever invoked this would be endless. I would think that the commissioner would have far larger cojones to make a decision <laughs> like that in mid-December than they would a playoff game determining who was going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And... That would take substantial guts. Well, and if you were to do it off this game with this call... You would then have to start overturning games all over the place where there was an egregious call that was made. Yeah. You don't want to walk down that path you if you're who, the commissioner. You know who you don't want to be? Is that Kansas City chief that lined up offside yesterday. Yeah. Trey, whatever his name was. Yeah, that's... Uh, that won't end well for him. You know, sadly... And he was offside by a foot. He was almost in the backfield of New England. Yeah. Uh, sadly, he's a really good player. He had a great year. Yeah. But, yeah. He's going to be remembered for one thing. Well, Fred Merkel, Bonehead Merkel, one of the great stories in sports ever. Who was, who the... Bonehead uh, Merkel hit a, hit a, the, he was at bat and he drove in the winning run. Forgot to run to first base. 
And when the runner came from second base and rounded third and came home, Merkel was running to first, and he saw that he his runner had touched first, so he never actually finished going to first, and he came in to join the celebration. And they threw the ball over to first, and he was out, and they lost the game, ultimately. Bonehead Merkel, a few years ago. He doesn't play for the Jays, although... Buckner. (laughs) A perfect one. Bill Buckner had over 3,000 hits in the majors. Nobody remember him for. Nobody remembers him except for that one thing. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, I read a story this morning... Can't remember where I read it. I would like to give credit where credit is due, but I simply cannot remember where I saw it. If I think of it before the segment is over, I will tell you. And it pointed out that since the beginning of December, the Toronto Maple Leafs have the fifth best analytics possession numbers in the NHL. Since the beginning of December, their analytics numbers are terrific. Unfortunately, since the beginning of December, the Maple Leafs are... I believe a sub 500 team, certainly not looking very good, looking nothing like the team that started the year. What does this tell us about analytics, if anything? Well, they're not foolproof. I mean, it's a gauge. So I guess that's what that's telling you is that the play and the performance of the Toronto Maple Leaf individual players has been less than stellar. Because if you have the puck most of the time and you're losing, you're not doing what you should be doing with the puck. So I guess that tells coaching staffs that if their team has the puck all the time, they better start um, showing them what to do when they do have it. Now, that said, here's my analytics are, I guess, the way of the future, and I'm the way of the dodo bird, because you can have the puck all the time, but if 80% of the time of your possession is D to D and you're throwing it from one defenseman to the other because you don't have an open forward to move it to, that time is a waste of time. The, the, so I don't know if there's an analytic that says, okay, so the Leafs had the puck 37 minutes of the game. What the new analytic has to be is, but 17 of those minutes was an absolute waste of time and totally unproductive. The story, by the way, to give credit, as I say, where credit is due, is Chris Johnson from Sportsnet. And it points out here that the Leafs have the NHL's fifth best score-adjusted Corsi since December the 6th. Oh, score-adjusted Corsi. <laughs> I know. I know. So these are these are the, the this is the language, by the way, that a lot of people just go, oh. And I'm not going to lie to you, Don. I when I hear some of these things, and I hear that there are teams that are just all analytics based and so heavy into the analytics, I look at a guy like now. I know it's not perfect, and I'm not dismissing analytics, but I look at a guy like Tim Hunter, not Tim Hunter, which was the hunter that was the. Yeah, Tim Hunter, who was Junior the... Junior uh, coach? Well, no, not... No, who was the... Mark guy, Hunter? Mark Hunter, thank you, who drafted Mitch Marner and drafted oh. some of these other guys. And I don't know that he was all analytics. He was a guy who saw players and had a great sense for who was a good hockey player. Meanwhile, he's been, a local guy. I don't want to dump on him, but um, uh, Chaika, who's down as the yep. GM of the Arizona Coyotes, who I hope does really well. He's a Stony Creek guy. But that team, even though they beat the Leafs, 
have been scuffing around and they're heavy, heavy into the analytics, not entirely. I just, I look at hockey and I think I just don't, I don't quite get the entire analytics thing. And when you see something like this saying at the time when the Leafs analytics are supposedly at their best, the team is playing at their worst, it creates all kinds of questions for me. First of all, uh, Mark Hunter would have been my choice to be the uh, general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I didn't get the call for a recommendation. Next time. Second of all, you can have all the analytics. Look, I'm an old fart. You can have all the analytics you want. Their number one goaltender was out a month. I don't need to know how long they had the puck. Because the fact that their number one goaltender was out a month tells me why their record is where it is. It's about confidence when you're playing, knowing you can do things because you've got a top-notch goalie, perhaps one of the top five in the league this year, and maybe two of them are playing in Montreal, but a top-five goaltender and you're without him. And you've got a great American League goaltender that may well be a fine NHL goaler one day out with a concussion. And I think that tells you the whole story. I don't care how much you've got the puck. If you're number one goaltender, and you've heard me say it, it's time for the annual Jock the Mares, the better Patrick Waugh played, the better I coach. Right? I mean, he said it all the time. When you've got great goaltending, the other team can have the puck an inordinate amount of time. But your goaltender's going to save your butt all the time. So, you know what? Analyze this. But the reality is, when you don't have your best goaltender, your chances of winning aren't as good. I'm puzzled. Analytics, not analytics, whatever else. And again, I could, ex- I could, well, essentially the, according to uh, puckon.net, trying to explain, there's a website, so people can understand what um, the uh, score adjusted Corsi is. Let me read this to you. And I guarantee you, nobody will know what I'm talking about. This is, this is the kind of analytics that I love. Well, if I don't, I'll tell when you. When by the end of my description, everyone goes, huh? Yeah. All right. Uh, score adjustment is a correction made to Fenwick or Corsi to account for changes in possession that occur due to the current score of the game. When teams are ahead, they fall into a small defensive shell to protect their lead and end up shooting less. So deal with that as you will. Here's what I don't understand. If I am the Toronto Maple Leafs and... Mike Babcock is a very highly successful coach who's won Olympics. He's won Stanley Cups. He was hired. He's the highest paid coach in the NHL. He's not a he's not a boob. He's not a dummy. He knows what he's doing. He's a good coach. You have arguably the best offensive players group in the NHL. Certainly among that. Arguably, yes. Arguably, as far as just pure talent. Yep. Do you not just say? At this point, when things are not going well, when when you can't seem to get your offense going, do you not take the reins off and say, just go out there and play and make it up and see what you can do? Because they're so talented, you would think, yeah, you'll give up some goals, but let's just, rather than being a slave to the system now that is clearly having a hard, or do you say, Don, no, we've got to work through this and get our system back on track, and so we can't let the, la- the reins go, we've got to keep it really tight. Well, if when we have all our forwards, uh, when the Dundas Real McCoys, we have, we have outstanding forwards if we can get them all there at the same time. And when we do, 
we talk to the defense and say, our best strategy tonight is give them the puck and we're going to score more goals than the other guys. And more often than not, that we, we have the chance to do that. So I think when you're coaching and you have an opportunity, like you know playing that way, sometimes when you open it up, you're going to give up five or six. But if you have faith in your skill, you're going to score seven or eight and you're going to win ugly. But when you're losing and not playing well and you think you can win that way, the best way to build confidence, because you can rein them back in again, is let them go try and win the, the way they best best can win and they're best suited to win. Let the skill dominate. And the teams that I've been involved with that are heavy on skill, you say, you know what, let them stop us. Why are we trying to figure out, why are we trying to figure out how to um, stop them when we're so much better than they are? Let them figure out how to stop us, and you win nine times out of ten. And I think as tough as it is for a, co- a coach like Babcock to let them go, I would let them go. I mean, look at the teams that are beating them. Florida's well, beating them. Arizona's beating uh, them. Let them my, go. That's that's my thing. The more the longer the season has gone on, when they started and they were looser with their system, they were scoring a ton. Now the other teams were looser with their systems as well. I understand that this is not it's not just one team that's playing on the ice, but the more time and the more that it's been about getting the system in play, the worse the pen, the power play is, the worse the scoring is, the more games you're losing. I I look at this team and I just I mean how do you how do you have a guy like Nylander who's got four points? Something there's something wrong with the team right now, and I'm with you. I look at and look, Mike Babcock is Mike Babcock, and I'm not Mike Babcock, and I'm not pretending to know hockey better than Mike Babcock. But do you not have to try some things at certain times and just say let's play to our absolute strength here? I. I Yes, you do. But when you are in a league like the best league in the world and you're considered one of the very best coaches in the world and you have a standard and you have a system, it's hard to just break away from that and say, you know, let's play hell-bent for election and see what happens. Um, Because structure matters and structure wins. There is no better example that structure wins and hard work wins than the New York Islanders being in first place in the Metro League. And they and it's no fluke that they have the Stanley Cup champion coach, Barry Trotz, who was capable in Washington of letting uh, Ovechkin loose and covering up for him. But he had a strategy, and Babcock has one, and he believes in it. And I, it's really difficult, I'm sure, for a guy like Babcock to say, you know what? you know, go out, let's score eight or nine tonight as long as we win, I don't care, because they're worried about bad habits. You know, they can fix bad habits. He's, I'm going to let you do this once, which is probably would be my approach. You don't want to do it my way, you go do it your way. And if you don't win, we're going back to my style. It was 35 years ago, but Glenn Sather had pretty good success. And I don't know that the Oilers had a restrictive system. He said, our offense can beat your offense so if you want to score seven goals, we'll score eight, no problem. Now, I, a different time, I understand that, but the similarity, Similar skill set, though. the similarity is the skill level that you have on the team, and I... Mm, That's when an acceptable goals against average for Grant Fuhr was three, four, four, well, four, eight. What would the Oilers have been if Glenn Sather had decided to put in a hugely controlled system and you all have to play within the system? I don't know. They had enough skill that it went a different way. 
but maybe it wouldn't have been near as much fun to watch. No. He would just center them over the boards. I love. But he had some great stay-at-home defensemen, like I talked about. Mm-hmm. Just give the guys up front. See the guys that line up at center, right wing, left wing. Give them the puck, and we'll have a lot of fun, and good things will happen. Charlie Huddy and Kevin Lowe were not the most gifted offensive players on that defense, and they had uh, uh, a rover at the time. They brought back the rover in uh, Paul Coffey because mm-hmm. he was no more a defenseman than, than you were. That's saying something. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.